Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Santa H. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Monday, December 11th to 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we are reading from the big book. We are beginning a new chapter, Bill's story. We are on page one, the first paragraph that begins with, War Fever Ran High. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Esther F., The Twelve Traditions, Nora S., and reading the literature today are Allison L., Craig F., and Amy W. The share ID number for Sunday, December 10th, 2017, our special edition meeting is 10,774. That's 10774. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome anyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the, pure, and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. And thank you, Esther S. I will now ask Nora S. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Nora S. calling from Maydock, Ontario, in Canada. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you very much. I pass. And thank you, Nora S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we are in Zooming our study of the big book on page one, the first paragraph beginning with 
war fever ran high through three paragraphs ending, which I failed to heed. Comments on all. I will now ask Amy W. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Allison L. Did you mean Allison L.? I sure did. Thank you, my Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Chapter 1, Bill's Story. War fever ran high, and the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us into their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudice of prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a dog roll on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is never forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. I'm going to set my timer. Good morning again. This is Allison, a recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. And <clears throat> reading Bill's story, um, I was guided by my sponsor and by um, the teachers on this line to remember that this is a textbook. Um, and even though there's a story within it, um, it's still a textbook that builds on what we've already read. So going into Bill's story, I needed to remember what I learned in the doctor's opinion, that I have an allergy of my body um, and an um, obsession of my mind. Um, so the allergy is my abnormal reaction when I eat certain things and I can't stop eating them. And the obsession is, you know, even when I stop eating, the obsession drives me back to keep eating them. So then in Bill's story, I get to see what does that look like? How does that play out in a person's life? And can I identify with that? If I can identify with how it plays out in, you know, the life of an alcoholic, then I also know that the solution that worked for him will work for me. And that gives me the hope I need to continue forward following the instructions in the book. So as I read Bill's story, I was instructed to think about, did I, do I feel like Bill felt? Do I think like Bill think? And do I eat the way that Bill drank? And so in these um, first couple paragraphs here, do I, do I relate to those things? And so he was excited um, at this time in his life and he discovered liquor, which reminds me of, you know, when I went off to college, it was a very exciting time and I discovered, you know, new people and the ways they ate and the new restaurants that my small town hadn't had. And I discovered um, new diet programs and new ways of exercise and um, all kinds of exciting things at that time in my life. Um, it was also a very lonely time. Um, I didn't, you know, know where I fit or where I belong, which I often felt throughout my life. And so when I feel that way and I'm lonely, I turn to food. Um, so I'm relating to the ways that Bill was feeling and thinking, and I can see how my eating relates to the way he drank. And so even though uh, I'm a woman and I'm younger, um, I, I relate to this man who lived long ago who was an alcoholic, and that gives me hope in relating to him because I know that the solution that worked for him will work for me, and it did. So with that, I pass. And we thank you, Allison L. 
And we're going to open up the floor for those who want to comment for approximately three minutes. I do ask that as I'm writing your name down, if you just please call your name out one time and avoid using speakerphones when it's your turn to share will be very helpful. So who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? Katie G. from Boston. Irini M. Barbara C. Lisa B. Lauren N. Okay, this is who I heard. I heard Katie G, Irini, and Lisa B. Who did I miss? Lauren N. Barbara C. Lori I heard Holland Jean. I heard a female. One more name. Barbara C. Barbara C. Okay. We'll start with this one here and come back to the again. Okay, this is who I have. Katie G. Irini. Lisa B. Lauren N. Holland G. And Barbara G. Good morning, Katie G. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, my fellows. It's Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic, and Bulimic, and I'm starting my timer so much. I love you, Bill. A um, couple lines I just want to highlight, being part of life at last. You know, um, I remember, you know, losing weight, you know, that first time, and people starting to pay attention to me, and um, you know, going to college and, you know, there was so much going on and, and discovering food and watching people eat in this like really sophisticated way and being like, oh, I can try that. And then all of a sudden that like, <clears throat> I don't know, just my, my allergy, right, comes in and, and I'm lonely and I'm turning to food, right, because no human power, right, like KDG, no amount of friends, no amount of like applause, no amount of, of um, success is going gonna, is gonna to change my food addiction and how many times did I think, okay, I'm, I'm okay now and I'm going to turn to food again. Um, you know, and many ominous warnings. I didn't, I didn't have a dog roll over a tombstone, but, um, you know, ominous warnings in my own life. You know, my brother um, you know, talking to me about this, the severity of, of how I looked, of, of what was going on for me, and, and not really caring, not really thinking, you know, I'm better than that. I, I, can, I can do that. And, um, you know, throughout my time in recovery, like, I can, I can be somebody, you know, thank God today I'm, I'm recovered, but I can be somebody who's looking for, you know, part love and applause and, you know, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. And, you know, today I'm not looking for the highs that I used to look for, um, being a recovered woman, staying out of food a day at a time. You know, I know that, that no human power can, can fill me up and that when I do feel lonely, it's not because, you know, I need more stuff. It's not because, you know, I need my husband to do this. It's not because I need you to do this. It's because I need that God-shaped void. And um, I just, I so relate to Bill and, and just looking for external to make me feel better, to make me feel okay. And, um, and then when it wouldn't, you know, being like, okay, well, food is going to fill me up. Food is going to fix it this time. And thanks be to God, I don't have to do that today. And um, and I have a solution. And thank you, Bill. Um, I, too, when I first started reading this story, um, I was a women's studies major in college. I went to an all-women's college. And I was in here changing the words and saying, what does this guy have to do with me? And uh, today, he's my brother. He's me. He is 
100% me, and thanks be to God today. I know who I am. I am a recovered woman for today, and for today I have a chance. As long as I keep walking with you shoulder to shoulder and studying this book. Thank you all for your service, and with that I do pass. And we thank you, Katie G. Good morning, Irene M. Thank you, Santa. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini M. from New York, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. There's so much here, but I, too, want to share on I was part of life at last. Well, Bill and I were both on that same emotional roller coaster of life. And, um, you know, beginning, he began to experience the excitement of traveling and meeting new people and going to new places and just having fun and finding comfort with love and applause and, and that he was participating um, in the war where there was also distress and fear and um, turning to heroism. So he also was experiencing the feeling of loneliness and isolation and struggling to fit in, you know, feeling restless, irritable, and discontent, feeling that stress that was brought on by the war, brought to him and almost, um, and, and it brought to him all those mixed emotions, and that's where he discovered um the drink. So the same feeling that I felt growing up, I was in my own war in my head. Um, so we both had to find this ease and comfort for every emotion that we were feeling. Um, and and he turned to the bottle and um, I turned to the food. So it was our solution, just like, um, just like running for something to release, to be released and to feel comfort. So we both experienced the same yearning for love, for attention, for recognition. Um, I so identify with this. We both needed and we were both thirsty for some kind of connection because we were disconnected and lost. So he didn't know what to do with all of his feelings, just like I did not know what to do with my feelings. No one taught me what to do with my feelings growing up. And he needed something to escape with. And, and this is what he turned to, was his alcohol. But we know that we all turn to our disease for, for a release of these emotions. And the goal is to turn to another solution, and that is God. And that is in recovery. And I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, and I pass. And we thank you, Evie M. Good morning, Lisa B. Good morning, Santa. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. I love Bill's story. I never thought in a million years that I would be able to identify with this man, but I really, really love Bill's story. So um, I was going to also share on I was part of life at last. And when I went away to college, I discovered the high that I could get from restricting food. You know, I just, I was like a vacuum with food um, before I went away to college. I just consumed, consumed, consumed. And then when I got away, went away to school, um, 
I don't, I think someone said something to me. My roommate made a comment of how I looked pudgy and I became terrified. So um, I became unable to eat. It was really a strange experience. I just wasn't able to eat and I discovered I would get a high by not eating. And I loved the look of having my cheekbones become sunken in. And when my mother saw me after being away at college, she said, I look like a prisoner of war. I was so bony and thin. And I discovered compulsive exercise. Um, But always what I found for me is my goal was always to be a little underweight so that I could then have an out of control binge. But my compulsive overeating has just morphed into all kinds of um, new new things of either compulsive overeating, heavy restricting, and getting the buzz on the heavy restricting. It's just, it's been all gamut. But then when it talks about I was very lonely again and turned to out, turned to food, I always felt lonely. I felt very cut off. I mean, even to respond to a joke, I didn't know how to walk in a room and feel okay. I just felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. And I would always compare my insides to other people's outsides and felt like I just came up short all the time. There was so much anxiety inside of me. And when he talks about having this moving experience, you know, something something was moved to him as, as in being moved to tears or being overwhelmed by a happy or grateful emotion. And I would feel that with um, just the concept of a, a higher power around me. I really believed that there was something around me and I didn't know how to really get at it or how to let it get at me, but it was something I was always seeking. And I was looking for that through food. I was looking for that in applause from others. I looked at your eyes, and the way you looked at me is the way I would determine how I felt. So I didn't have any groundedness. Food would ground me, and it would continue to numb me. Um, And other times, it would give me an effect where I could actually feel more feelings. So food was everything for me. so that's what I wanted to share, and I'm grateful today that I've been able to identify in with this book and get recovered and have a life beyond my wildest dreams as a recovered person. With that, I pass. Oh, thank you, Lisa B. And good morning, Lori N. Did you mean Lauren N. Santa? I sure did. Thank you. Yes. Go right ahead, Lauren N. Thank you, Santa, for your lead. Thank you, everyone, uh, for Monday morning. I love Monday. Well, I hate Monday mornings, but I love Monday mornings because we get back to the book, and it helps me so much to get out of my head. I am so much like Bill. I am so much like Bill, but boy, I have a different way of working it, but I don't have a different way of working it. I had this empty spot in my in my tummy that ha- felt like it had to be filled and filled and filled, and guess what? It was never filled. So thank you all for reminding me that it could be filled with God and not food.
the image of him walking through Winchester Cathedral and reading that tombstone sticks with me a lot. And I can imagine when I graduated from high school and went off to college, all actually most of my most of my terrible binging was done after college because in college I would sneak eat. It was after college when I didn't have to sneak. And I would just binge and binge and binge. And I married someone who was okay with my binging because he was binging on alcohol. I got bigger and bigger and bigger and never looked back. At 286 pounds, I was 5'1", and it was so, I, I am 5'1", and it, I was so big, I was like a bull in a china shop at all times. I'm still 5'1", I'm 150 pounds, 152 pounds. Gentle reminder. And it's thank God to this, this book that I'm there. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And we thank you, Lauren, and for your share. And next we have is Holland G. Good morning to you, Holland. Good morning, Santa, and thank you very much, and thank you to Team Monday for making this fantastic meeting possible. Bill Wilson was born in 1895 in East Dorset, Vermont. His parents divorced in 1906. This marked him. He was very, very scared of the world. He suffered from panic attacks. Um, he felt that he had to work twice as hard to be half as good. Divorce had a tremendous stigma, especially at that time. Him and his sister Dorothy were raised by their maternal grandparents in East Dorset, Vermont. Bill found an old violin in his grandpa's attic, and he became so proficient at it through hard work that he became co-first chair of his grammar school's orchestra, played the violin uh, throughout his life recreationally, found an old baseball glove up there, became shortstop and captain of his school's baseball team. He was tall. He was lanky. He also suffered from depression when he was 17 years old. The love of his life was, was Bertha Bamford. And Bertha Bamford went to New York City for what was described to Bill as routine surgery, and she died on the operating table. And Bill fell into the very first of his very serious depressions, and he would suffer from depression throughout the rest of his life. Bill Wilson was in World War I. Over there signifies World War I. And let's take a look very briefly at this dog roll on a tombstone. What is he looking at? Now, Bill's father and grandfather were alcoholics. 
And the reason that Bill's mom divorced Bill's dad was because of his alcoholism. And Bill's grandfather was an alcoholic who had a spiritual awakening or spiritual experience on Mount Elias in, in Vermont and never drank again. But alcoholism ransacked Bill's family. And he's looking at a tombstone, not of a man who died in war, but pot was how they drank beer in those days. It has nothing to do with marijuana. They had quart pots and pint pots for liquor, and it was considered very bad manners at that time to sit and consume liquor. This is a tombstone from the 1600s. The guy's name was Thatcher. And uh, he drank himself to death, and this had a tremendous effect on Bill, and we're going to refer to that later in the story. And the pint pots and the quart pots were such that the barkeeps would say to the drinkers, Watch your pints and quarts over there. You're getting rowdy. And as that expression made it to the colonies here, it became watch your P's and Q's. And that's how that came into our language today. But looking at this tombstone of a man who drank himself to death had a great effect on Bill. And my three minutes are up. That's all I got. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And we thank you, Hollis, for sharing that beautiful background information about the Bill story. So helpful. And next we have is Barbara G. Good morning to you. Hi. Did you say Barbara G? Because it's actually Barbara C. B as in boy? No, C like Charlie. C. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Barbara C. Go right ahead. Hi, I'm Barbara C. I'm compulsive uh, <coughs> overeater. Um, I was looking at the line, um, you know, kind of what Carla referred to about the, he ignored his family's traditions. My family tradition was a mother who had survived the Holocaust and food was a huge deal. If you didn't finish everything on your plate, it was a, you know, total no-no. And to get to that point, to, you know, even get me to eat, which my story is hilarious, uh, she would sweeten the pot, so to say, you know, the, the traditional goodies were dragged out and, and hung over my head like verbal carrots. And so I just never really thought much about it. I always thought that that's the way you're supposed to be doing things. And I didn't think it was a, a addiction because, you know, I was very temperate. I was very moderate most of my life. And it wasn't until after I'd had my kids that I was seeing this really ridiculous stuff going on and hiding you know, the sweet fighting the treats, um, avoiding my family, avoiding all my responsibilities, avoiding everything. And it just became a nightmare. And this is why I come to you guys, to listen to you, to understand, you know, that it's not going to be perfect. I'm not going to get my whole act together. And um, <laughs> I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life. And that's what I have to face because I want to, I want to get back to where I was when I was a kid. I really do. I want to get to the point where I was able to eat whatever I wanted, still stay skinny. <laughs> I'm just realizing that's just not happening, honey. Anyways, I'm just glad to be here. Thanks for letting me share. And thank you, Barbara C., for being here. That is Barbara C. as in cat. And if you're just joining us, we are in the Bill story. Um, we're starting right at the top, page one, the first paragraph, war fevers ran high, and we read this morning three paragraphs and commenting on all. So let's continue. Who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? Adam. 
This is Larry. Madam. Okay, this is who I have. I have Matt M, Larry K, Melissa C. Anyone else? Judith R. Judith R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Okay, just a reminder when you say. Repeat that, please. Cat K, C A T. Cat K, okay. This is who I have Matt M. Larry K, Melissa C, Judith R, Nessa R, and Kat K. And if everybody would mute their line, please, except for Matt M. And when it's your time to share, we ask if you can avoid a speakerphone would be very helpful. Okay, Good Matt morning. M. Good morning to you. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. Good to hear your voice. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Composable reader from New Jersey. I'm a little under the weather, so excuse my voice. Uh, here was a uh, love, applause, war, moments of wine with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. He's a young guy. He's just getting into into life at last. He's going to war. So he's very talky and he's also very, like, full of life. And he doesn't realize that, you know, he alcoholism runs in his family. He He's not sure of himself what he's doing. He goes to the excitement of drinking, and he sees El Tagro on a Winchester, in a Winchester Cathedral. It's where he had his first spiritual experience, must moved. He wandered outside, he saw the doggerel, which is a rude, crude um, writing on the stone. On the stone. And uh, this is the first time what was written on the, um, what was written there was about a Thatcher. This is the first time of a couple times that the, the name is going to be used, that Sylvia Thatcher is going to be mentioned. Later on, it talks about Ebby Thatcher, uh, who was the friend that came to visit him later on in the story, so it's kind of really almost like, you know, ominous, you know, it is very ominous warning, you know, it's foreshadowing of what's going to come, you know, and um, he's, um, this is like a death omen, what was on that, what was on that uh, tombstone, it was an omen of death for him, and of course he just ignored it because he, he was a young kid, cocky, thought, thought he, knew, he knew it all, he was going to see the world, and uh, he, learned, he learned a lot the hard way pretty soon, pretty quickly. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Matt M. And good morning, Larry K. Good morning, Santa. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> There's no laughing on this line. Okay, this is Larry K. I'm I'm a recovered compulsive over overeater from Chicago. The um, you know, I I wanted to kind of piggyback. Uh, Harlan gave us some great uh, history about Bill. And I want to tie it in because I, you know, this is all about identification at this point, right? And, and uh, you know, he, Bill, because of his upbringing and some of the things, you consider at a time when his parents were divorced, his father, like Harlan said, was an alcoholic. He moved up to Canada for work. His mother um, left actually at a time you know, to, to go to medical school to become a doctor, a great thing. But, you know, he was kind of perhaps, perhaps he felt a bit abandoned. And uh, he definitely had depression, and um, which really followed him the rest of his life. And it, for me, it ties into, you know, there's a, there's a school of psychology called individual psychology, which is really an outside issue. But I want to tie it to what we're reading this morning, because it, it's more the idea that, you know, the main motives of human thought and behavior are individual, you know, individual in that men and women strive for superiority and power 
partly in compensation for feelings of inferiority. See, I can relate to that. Had lots of feelings of inferiority in my life. I bet Bill did too. Maybe you did as well. And so thus, the theory is that we strive for superiority and power and we can achieve great things, you know, and many of us have, you know, and in, in one way or another and build it as well, you know, coming from a place feeling very low and not, you know, we, we, we were uncomfortable in our own skin. And so we try to find something that we can feel superior, you know, and, and maybe we find something, maybe not, but the food was trying to fill that inferiority complex, that, that hole in my soul. And it was unfillable, you know, perhaps it is for you as well. And what Bill found, and what, you know, as we hear a story, cause they're going to spend the first half of the story here about the descent into the madness of this disease, this addiction, right? And then something's going to happen. And well, and something something happened to me too. Maybe something happened to you as well. And then we get a new new perceptive lens lenses in which to see the world. You know, sort of a a God centered world, an other centered world, rather than a self centered world anymore. So um, it's all about identification, Santa. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Indeed, it is. Thank you so much, Larry Kay. And good morning, Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, so like like Bill, just, you know, the same as me, um, I discovered, you know, the substance when everything is going great. You know, there are people who when they're happy, when they fall in love, when they get a new job, they're too busy and happy to eat, you know. And for me, um, falling in love and going off to college or getting a new job, food was an enhancer. You know, I, I increased, or so I thought, increased the pleasure of experiences with food. You know, um, all I would need to do is go to a party and the party's so much better when you're eating, you know, but just like Bill, when I'm lonely, when things turn to crap, um, I use food again, you know, and, and so it's, it's always, uh, something, a lack of me, a lack of, of, of being Bill that I needed something and, and turned to it. And, you know, um, I could identify with not heeding the warnings of my people because um, I grew up in um, a family where my father's side of the family was morbidly obese, and they were always pointed out as a cautionary tale. Like, my mother would point at them to me and warn me, like, look, this is where your father, you know, these are your father's people. This is the potential. Um, and, and don't be like that. It was always, don't eat like that. Don't be like that. I had no ability to heed that warning. Like, there was just no way that um, I could take that information and use it. I, I believe I was destined and predetermined to um, take food and use it until um, – until I squeezed it, you know, until it was nothing, until it was everything. And, um, you know, and so today the difference is is when I'm feeling joy, um, I feel joy, 
you know, I don't need to enhance that I have a connection and other-centeredness. Um, and, and when I'm feeling sorrow and sadness and anguish and anxiety, um, I also have another source that I can rely on. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. And good morning, Julius R. Good morning to you. Good morning, Santa H. Thank you for your service. Hi, everybody. This is Judith Reichsman, compulsively over what? <laughs> Recovered compulsive overeater in Brattleboro, Vermont. Um, he landed in England and visited Winchester Cathedral. When I was in college, I landed in France and visited Notre Dame Cathedral, and I was very moved, which was which was amazing because I was really angry with the church of my childhood at that point, and I had sworn I would never darken the doors of a, of that church again. But you're in you're in Paris, and there are these beautiful churches. So I went, and I had an experience of hope. I just felt like, oh, oh, there there is hope in the world. And for me, at that point in time, the only thing I was thinking about was the war in Vietnam and I was completely consumed with it and I just thought oh this is how we should do the demonstrations and this is how we should and oh if we did this and then but it was totally crowded out um, by everything else that happened to me while I was in France and in fact that was some of the worst eating of my entire life was was in France and I have bad memories of the good food, just horrible memories. And only when I came back to the United States and had a real lasting spiritual experience, and I'm one of those blessed people who had an experience, God knew that an awakening was not going to work for this chick. And so he gave me this just overpowering, amazing spiritual experience. And then... Then it stuck, and then uh, five years later, I found program. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening, guys. With that, I pass. And thanks for being here, Judith R. And next we have is Nessa R. Good morning to you. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Nessa R., and I am recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, When I first read the big book and Bill's story specifically about maybe a decade ago, I had no clue why this was even relevant. Um, Why did I have to be reading about drunks? I had absolutely nothing in common with them. Um, I don't even like alcohol. I mean, except for the sweet wine and the um, really sweet, sweet um, uh, mixed drinks. And then I like them not because of the alcohol, but because of the sugar. Um, You know, my life was intact. My marriage was intact. I had my, my children. My, I was able to pay bills. I mean, notwithstanding the fact that nobody was happy, not even me, my husband, nobody. Um, and I just, I, I had no clue. Like, why, why does this apply to me? What lessons are there here for me and my recovery? And, you know, a few years later, many years later, um, I was told, you know, just, just substitute the word alcohol for food and alcoholism for compulsive overeating or food addiction. And it doesn't matter that you haven't reached the kind of bottom that Bill reached. 
um, because, you know, even that is just a matter of time um, before things deteriorate to that extent. So, you know, the fact that food is not as immediately um, as punishing as, as, as alcohol, uh, it's not even, even relevant because eventually we could get there. And when I started to do that, I realized that just like Bill couldn't stop drinking when he got started drinking alcohol, I couldn't stop myself from binging when I ingested my trigger foods. And the same way that Bill couldn't keep himself from getting started again, even on, at times when he was sober, it was the same thing with me. You know, there were times when I was quote-unquote sober, you know, when I went on diet and I even lost weight, and yet I could not keep myself from um, starting again. Um, so it was exactly the same thing, and those are very, very valuable suggestions which, you know, helped me identify with Bill. You know, as was said in the first share, you know, that I thought like Bill thought, that I felt like Bill felt, and then I ate exactly the same way that Bill drank, you know. Uh, it was just completely different substances, and once I was able to identify in with the problem, then I was also able to identify in with the solution, which gave me, gave me a lot of hope. And once I implemented it, it also gave me a beautiful recovery in a life beyond my wildest dreams with beautiful relationships, a thriving family. Um, you know, it's just, um, it's just a miracle. But I had to identify in with the problem first before I could identify in with the solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. And next we have is Kat K. Good morning. Hello, Kat K. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Kat K, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you all for sharing this morning um, and being here. I, I wanted to comment about Bill's story in that for me, I also didn't understand Bill's story initially. Being coming into program as a young woman in my 20s, um, I felt like I didn't really understand the story or could relate to it, and I certainly didn't understand why it came right after the doctor's opinion. I didn't really understand or relate to it. In fact, I recall one of um, when we were voting whether to read the big book in one of my meetings, that was actually what someone brought up, like there's no way anybody in this program could relate to Bill's story. It was so interesting. Um, I, I recall that moment, but today I really relate to Bill's story. And I don't relate to Bill's story even because of the alcohol that I could substitute with the idea of food and the behavior. What really makes me relate to Bill's story is the ego and the... I am, you know, better. It's like goes from one paragraph to the next, I'm better than thou, to the next paragraph of I am, you know, good for nothing. Um, and that, that swing between I'm good for nothing and the ego is what I could really relate to. And I would be driven to whatever substance, it doesn't even matter, when I felt not good enough or felt like I couldn't control the wor world or I would go then then go to worshiping whatever I could and how there's so much greater. And that's the, the, the complex, the mental piece and the feelings of worthlessness and the feeling of ar the, the arrogance is what I really relate to later on in Bill's story. So I just want to share that. Thank you so much. Um, have a great day. And we thank you, Kat K. And let's go K-A-T. Okay, 
And we do have time for about two more shares. Who would like to comment? For Vanessa Kay. Oh. Vanessa Kay. I didn't get the first name. Say that one more time with the K. Last name K. Vanessa. Yes. Vanessa. And the next name was? Vasa. Oh. Vasa. <clears throat> okay, Vanessa K. Go right ahead, please. Hi, thank you, Santa. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. Knessa Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Cincinnati, Ohio. I want to focus in on just a couple of um, lines here in the book. I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. There's been a lot of talk on the line this morning about um, not relating to the book. And when I first heard it, it took me back to when I first discovered food. Um, and I was young, I mean, 12, 13, 14. Um, and the interesting thing is that like so many of us, uh, one of my parents was is an alcoholic. And it, it took me so long to see, it's amazing to me now that even as a as a mother of a 12 year old that as a 12 year old seeing how self-aware she is today that I wasn't self-aware enough to see that while she was intoxicated and asleep when I got home off the bus that I was doing the same thing to myself and couldn't draw that parallel and it's so interesting because today as a 48 year old person <clears throat> You know, I have a career like every, you know, like most people and work and raise my family, but I'm a very slow learner (laughs) and don't present that way when, when you meet me, um, I'm such a slow learner. It took me years to understand the numbing effect of any substance. And, you know, I want to identify as a compulsive overeater because that's what I am, but it's so interesting today to run into people who are, I mean, I was with somebody Saturday night, one of my dearest friends of a couple of decades, and she's lost again another 22 pounds and said, now let's see if I can keep it down this time, or let's see if I can keep it off this time and continue this. And still, I think she's 46, doesn't understand what we're doing to ourselves day in and day out. And, um, You know, we hear people say every day how grateful we are, but had I not kept just staying on the line and going back to the meetings and listening, um, I couldn't have built the awareness to work the steps. And now that I'm sponsoring, I'm constantly trying to help them speed the process up. And I know the process is, you know, in our higher powers time, not on my time, but to help to stop the research. (laughs) I mean, I just wanted to stop the research, you guys, and I didn't know how to do it. And so these, you know, these words, these phrases, these sentences that we hone in on every single day are so important to the newcomer so that they can hear and stop the research. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you all. Have a great day. And we thank you, Knessa K. Is that with the K? Yes, thank you. Okay. And next we have is Vasa O. Good morning, Vasa. Good 
Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service and for everybody's service uh, sharing this morning. And I had no clue. I really didn't have, I didn't understand so many things till I came. To Overeaters Anonymous, the 12 Steps, the big book. Um, um, and again, I remember saying, why do I have to, you know, I couldn't identify with Bill's story because he was an alcoholic and I was food addict. You know, I learned I was, I had, which I knew I had uh, problems with the food because I could not, could not keep it down. And my sponsor said, well, just cross alcohol and put food there. And that's what I did. But um, I discovered food when we came in America. I was like 15 years old. And it's because we didn't have all these junk food. I probably would have had in the old country, which I knew I loved candy, but I didn't get that much in the old country because we don't have money to buy that stuff or bring it in the house. So I discovered food in this country, and I remember I gained like 20 pounds in one month. And my mother was happy because I was always like more on the thin side, and she was very, very happy to see some flesh on my body. But in the old country, they felt like, you know, fat was good. It was healthy, you know. So I didn't understand about the food addiction till I really came into the programs. And uh, I did take history of my a family history, you know, uh, about the alcoholism. My father was struggling. My grandfather was struggling. My great-grandfather, he was like falling alcoholic. And they were priests. These people were you know, working in the churches, but they, they didn't understand. There was no understanding of, uh, of you know, the disease. And I learned when I came and, you know, started reading, reading doc, the doctor's opinion uh, about the allergy. I had no clue. I just loved to eat. And uh, I ate over everything, you know, happy, sad, um, Lonely, and, you know, when we did come in America, I was very, very excited, but I also missed my, my old country. I missed my friends. I missed my relatives. The school, the schools, my country that I really loved, and I was born there. So I remember feeling lonely and alone, and uh, I didn't learn to express my feelings because um, my parents were going through their own struggles. So I learned to stuff my feelings with the food and suppress. So I'm just so grateful. And I did have a spiritual experience right from the beginning. I don't think I would have, I don't think I could have done it in any other way. I'm just going to wrap it up. My clock is up. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't that patient person to get the gradual experience. You know, God set me right away. And I'm so grateful for that, and I've never stopped coming. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Vasa. Oh, and for the minute remaining, I, I absolutely agree with all of you. So wonderful how we go identify into each other's story. But for me as well, I had to take the, t- the title, Bill's Story, and cross it out and put Santa's story. And something a wonderful fellow shared with me to do as I was identifying and reading this for the first time in 2013 is that she said to me, is to read it in the first person. And I have just found that to be so helpful. So I just wanted to pass it on to anyone out there that's, that's embarking the Bill story for the first time. Just changing to put the, 
put the first person I and see if you can identify in because this story is very, very important for you to be able to move forward. And with that, we will wrap this first meeting up here. And thank you all who shared. Thank you so much. Um, please join us for the second unrecorded hour of studying immediately following closing. The share ID for today, 7 a.m. meeting, Monday, December 11, 2017, is 10783. That's 10,783. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Craig F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Good. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to God and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless and keep you until then.